Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of scripture that we will focus on today is from Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 50. We'll read those as we go along and meditate on them. So there's a popular, maybe not as popular now, but a once popular Frank Sinatra song called My Way. It speaks from the point of view of a man who's at the end of life looking back on all the things that he's done and that have happened to him in a, in a good long life. I, I've done it my way. I've lived a full life. I've traveled each and every highway. But much, much more than this, I did it my way. That's how the lyrics go, and it's, it's inspiring, isn't it? It's almost fulfilling. It sounds almost motivating. But think about those words again. Much, much more than this, I did it my way. Inspiring as they sound, do those words sound very Christian? No, they, they really don't. I do it my way doesn't take into account anyone else's uh, feelings and needs, and it certainly doesn't always take into account what is best for us either. Not everything that we want to do is beneficial for us, and it's certainly not beneficial for everyone else. And that's why Jesus wants to teach us not to say, I do it my way, but I do it Christ's way. I do it the loving way. When we say that I'll do it my way, we're playing a dangerous game where we may cause others to stumble or even cause ourselves to stumble. He teaches us, Jesus teaches us instead to be careful that we don't cause anyone to stumble. Listen to the first part of what he tells us about this. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So what did John say to Jesus? He said, We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. John asks the question without asking the question, Jesus, were we right in what we did? And Jesus' answer, No, don't stop him. Don't cause this man to stumble, to, to stumble in his faith, to cast doubt upon what he's doing because of what you judge him to be doing. This man had demonstrated himself to be a Christian. He was performing miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Jesus is emphasizing that even 
what seems like the smallest act done in his name is an act that shows a person to be a Christian. And maybe you think, too, of the words that the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If this man was doing things in the name of Jesus, he was showing himself to be a follower of Christ. And Jesus didn't want the disciples to get the wrong idea that they had some exclusive hold on being the followers of Christ. They were not to cause this man to stumble because he wasn't one of them, because he wasn't doing things exactly the way that they thought things should be done. Jesus says, if anyone is not against us, they are for us. When it comes to Jesus, there is no middle ground. It divides on Jesus. Either you are against him or you are for him. There's no standing around in the lobby area waiting to decide whether you're for Jesus or against him. You're either with him or you're not. And so we, we can think back to those words that we heard in the Old Testament lesson that Moses said, I wish that all of God's people would have the Spirit and would prophesy instead of having this attitude that the disciples had where they got jealous or were concerned about something they didn't need to be concerned about. And at this point, you might be thinking, those disciples, man, they just don't seem to get it. Every week I come back to church and it seems like another time I hear these disciples just missing the point again and again. But before you get too caught up in that train of thought, reflect on yourself for a moment. Have you ever cut off someone who is trying to tell you about how God's working in their life because what you heard them saying wasn't being said with quite the theological precision that maybe you would say it with. Maybe you were quick to dismiss their story or their confession because it didn't quite sound Lutheran. Or maybe because they were involved with some other church than the one that you go to, you didn't put as much weight behind the words and the deeds that they were doing in the name of Christ. And when you do something like that, when you make the person question what they are doing, you're causing them to stumble and fall. With your judgments, you're causing that person to stumble just like the disciples, stopping this man from living out his life in Christ. But the problem is we can't see into hearts like God can. We can't judge whether or not a person has faith. We can see their actions and see by those if they testify to the fact that they have faith. But in the end, we can't judge them for that. Instead, we should rejoice that these people are living their lives in Christ. 
We should rejoice when we see other church denominations doing their work here in our area and all across the world because the gospel is being proclaimed. The gospel of Christ. The Apostle Paul even rejoiced that people whom he knew were preaching Christ for false motives, for bad reasons, he rejoiced because the gospel of Christ was being preached. Is that how we react? But now before you say, Vicar, wait a minute, you're getting carried away. You're going to let all these people who are in these churches that don't hold to every doctrine of the church, let them get away with, with having this false doctrine there and, and they're going to fall away because you're not trying to stop them. And that's where the caution comes in. You also don't want to cause anyone to stumble by judging them to be such a steadfast Christian that you don't address the problems that there are in what they believe or what they teach. Just as easily as you can cause someone to stumble by judging what they do that is good, you can cause them to stumble by not addressing what they do that's not so good. A little yeast works through the whole dough. That is to say that even the smallest part of false doctrine that remains in a person or in a group that is teaching that false doctrine will eventually chip away at the very foundations of Christianity and cause those people to stumble. It's a warning to them and to us to watch our doctrine closely so that we don't stumble on any small point of doctrine. And this is so important because Jesus regards everyone as his children. Everyone, in this sense, being believers. They're his dear children that he came to this earth to rescue and he wants to draw them near to himself and hold them tightly and securely. He doesn't want them to go into the fires of hell where there is eternal suffering. So with gentleness and kindness, address that Christian brother who maybe doesn't have things quite right. Work with them patiently over time, directing them to the Bible to where they can find the pure doctrine that they lack. And in doing so, you help them not to stumble. Because make no mistake, there's a lot at stake here. Why would Jesus say, if, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea? Why would he say that unless he were so protective of everyone who is his child, who is his little one that believes in him? He doesn't want to see any one of those taken from him. It drives him crazy to think that someone would go as far as to make one of those stumble. And that's why he has in store for that person the worst of punishments. But Jesus doesn't want us to stumble either. 
And that's why he says next, in verses 43 and following, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus uses hyperbole here. He uses extreme language. If your hand causes you to sin, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, obviously, Jesus doesn't want us to go around maiming our bodies and injuring ourselves. After all, we are the creation of God, bodies formed by God himself. Our bodies belong to Jesus, in fact, as, as bodies bought and ransomed by Christ with his precious blood bought at that high price. And even practically speaking, if we were all to cut off our hands and our feet, who would be left to do any of the work of God's kingdom? But Jesus uses this strong language, this extreme language, to show us just how serious sin is, just how serious temptation can be in leading us to stumble. He does it because he's serious about loving us and keeping us from the fires of hell. So don't cause yourself to stumble by indulging yourselves in the temptations that are always at hand. The lusts of our eyes and, and the pleasures of life are so tempting to us because we know that there is real pleasure and happiness to be found in them, but it's fleeting. Yes, the couple who doesn't wait until after marriage to take part in all of the blessings of marriage, skips the wait. They jump right to the pleasure, right to the joy of everything that comes along with marriage. But it goes against God's word, and it's something that stumble, causes them to stumble. Seeking the high of substances or the dulling effects of substances allows us to skip the sufferings of life. It takes us right from where we're at to pleasure. But it doesn't last. Or the anger that we feel when someone's wronged us or when we perceive a slight against us gives us a sense of justice and self-righteousness and it makes us feel good. It boosts us back up shoots us to that pleasure without taking the steps to work through it. They're the shortcuts to what we think we want, but they cause us to stumble in our walk of faith. Indulging in our temptations takes us on that path of least resistance, 
but the path of least resistance leads us to the fires of hell. And all those pleasures aren't going to look as desirable when we're looking at them from the flames that do not ever go out in hell. Make no mistake about the awful conditions in hell. Jesus doesn't. He says the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. The apparent missing out on all these things we desire looks much better when we look at it from the perspective that Christ wants us to look at it. He doesn't want you, his beloved children, to go to those fires of hell. He doesn't want you to stumble. And he shows his love in this, that he gives you this warning and this admonition not to stumble. Because Jesus didn't come to this earth just to die on the cross for your sins and to rise again to give you new life, only to let you go off on your own, fall into temptations, stumble, and end up in hell. No. Like the parent who loves his child, Jesus gives us the warning. The parent who loves his child will not let the little child reach out his hand and touch that hot stove. The parent may even go as far as a slap on the wrist or a snap on the hand to show the child that the danger is real and it's not something to be toyed with. That's the sort of warning that Jesus gives us here. He doesn't do it to crush us under his thumb or to make us grovel and try to earn something from him. He does it because he loves us and because he wants to keep us from those fires of hell. But Jesus says one more thing here before he's done talking in these words that we're concentrating and meditating on today. He says, Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Everyone will be salted with fire. That's what Jesus says. And by saying that, he means that everyone will be tested with trials and sufferings. The one more thing that Jesus has to tell us is that Christians will experience sufferings. But these sufferings serve as the means of seasoning, of salting, of strengthening, strengthening us and building us up in the faith. But again for a moment, think on yourself. Think on your past experiences. Do you find joy in suffering? Do you look forward to suffering? Do you welcome it and bring it on because I am one who is worthy of suffering for the name of Christ? Or do you face suffering with fear and anger and sadness? It's probably that second one, right? 
We wish that, like Peter, we could deny Jesus so that everyone would just stop bothering us so that we wouldn't have to bear the temptations and we could just avoid them, take the side door and get out quick. But that same Peter, who denied Jesus three times, by God's grace, later was in a group of apostles who were whipped and beaten by the authorities because they were proclaiming the name of Christ. And when those disciples left the beating, they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering for Christ. You can read all about that account in Acts. And the same Peter, who once denied Jesus, but then found joy in suffering, also wrote to Christians who were expecting and experiencing sufferings. And he said to them, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Yes, there will be sufferings for being a Christian. But when these persecutions and sufferings come upon you, take joy in them. Because you have been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Take joy in them because these will build you up in your faith. Jesus promises that. Everyone will be salted with fire. The salt will season you in your Christian living. It will build you up so that you don't lead others to stumble. It will build you up so you can cut off those temptations and keep yourself from stumbling. It builds you up so that even in the face of trials and persecutions, you remain in the faith. You don't cause anyone to stumble by having salt among yourselves. By God's grace, Peter went from a denier to someone who took joy in his suffering. And by God's grace, we are the same way. How do you think that song, I Did It My Way, would go if Peter were singing it at the end of his life? It may be at that middle point when he was denying Jesus, it was, I did it my way. But at the end, I did it Christ's way. I did it the loving way. Christ's way, the loving way that treats others with the perfect, selfless love of Christ. The love that doesn't cause them to stumble. And when you find yourself not living up to that standard and your conscience screams at you because you haven't loved others the way that you should, because you haven't kept yourself from stumbling the way that you should, you take that and you lay it before God at the foot of the cross and Jesus will do what he does best. He'll forgive you, strengthen you, and put you right back into service with a better and deeper understanding of his love. Amen.